Hallelujah, hallelujah. It's always good to be in the house of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We're going to just take a moment to pray. We've got a couple things I, that are in my heart I want to pray about. And so we're going to pray about the word tonight, but we've got some other things. Father, we're so grateful tonight for your covering in all things in all areas. And Father, we ask for a clarity in our air here. We ask, Father, that you would help men and women to get these fires contained in the name of Jesus. We stand in the gap between earth and heaven and inviting the move of the Spirit of God. We invoke the hand of the Lord concerning that in this area, in our nation, in the name of Jesus. And we thank you and we praise you, Father, that you're giving to men new strategies, new methods, new ways. Strengthen everyone involved, Father. Give them courage, Father, that this thing be conquered in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it, Father. And, Father, we hold up the state of Texas right now. And we thank you, Father, that there is an invoking of your will to be done, your will to bless your will to empower, your will, Father, in the name of Jesus. We speak to the storms down there in every arena and level, and we command them to be peaceful and still in Jesus' name. And we thank you and we praise you, Father, that you are working in those places. I thank you for supernatural help there, supernatural help in the name of Jesus. And Father, we thank you for the word of God in this house. We thank you that your word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, Father, that it's your desire and your design that we go to a new level of maturity in you, that we can be counted useful vessels for the kingdom of God everywhere we tread. And I give you praise and thanksgiving, Father, that no weapon formed against this word tonight no weapon formed against the hearing, no weapon formed against the speaking. I come against every disruption, distraction, and interruption in Jesus' name. There will be no interference, but by the power of the Spirit, we receive from heaven tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. We stand with brothers and sisters in the Lord wherever they're at for good things. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Well, we've been talking since the first of the year. How long has that been? Probably about, well, let's see, we're eight months, 28, 29, maybe 30, 31 weeks about restoration. And we'll go on to something when we get it. Not like mentally get it, get it. <laughs> when we get full restoration, we'll go on to something else. Because, you know, God doesn't work from January 1 till December 31 on a particular thing. He works in seasons until we get it, right? So he wants full manifestation, even if we have to go beyond December 31 ministering on this, right? Hallelujah. So let's go to Acts chapter 3. You'll probably never forget these scriptures as long as you live, which is a cool thing. Amen? So Acts chapter 3 Beginning in verse 19, it says, Repent, therefore. Now, notice that this is the sermon that Peter is preaching here, one of the first in the book of Acts. And he says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So we see here that there is three seasons of time. There's the season of time, number one, was about the beginning of the world. That was the time of the prophets. That was found in verse 21. It began there. It began, the first season was the beginning of time, and it's inclusive of those things that the prophets spoke of, all right? 
The second season is in verse 19, and it's set times of repentance, times of conversion, times of refreshment. And then our final season is spoken of that it's the time when Jesus returns. Okay? So we have the season of time, the beginning of time that the prophets spoke of, and we have this moment in time at the end when Jesus returns. And so we've got a whole lot of time between, and in this between time is times of repentance, times of conversion, times of refreshment, but the thing we're looking at is also the times of restoration. All of these things are going to happen between the beginning of time and the return of the Lord. These things of repentance, conversion, refreshment, restoration, and that is where we're at today. How many of you agree we're not at when the world began right now? We're not at... Jesus has already come the second time right now. So we obviously, through the process of elimination, are in this middle time. So we are in the time right now of repentance, the time of conversion, the time of refreshment, and the time of restoration. Do you all agree with that? All right. So what is... If we're in a time of repentance, conversion, refreshment, and restoration, what are those things? Well, repentance is a time of a change. Repentance is defined by Webster in the 1828 dictionary just simply as this, to change the mind. To change the mind. And what does conversion mean? means to be changed from one substance to another. So we have a change of mind, we have a change of substance, we have times of refreshment, which mean to be reinvigorated or to be re-energized, and then we have times of restoration, and restoration means to renew, revive, you know all them re-re-re-re-re-roots that Pastor Jerry's been taking us through every week, right? And We've got these things, but we have to understand that these four things are the building blocks for the foundation in, where, in which Jesus can return. He's waiting for this time of repentance, this time of conversion, this time of refreshment, and this time of restoration be, to be fully done so he can return. So my thought is, let's get in on what's happening before Jesus comes back. All right? So the first thing is the times of repentance, meaning a change of the mind. Then it's a time of conversion to change from one substance to another, one condition to another. The time of refreshment to be reinvigorated, to be re-energized, to be replenished. And times of restoration to be remodeled, renewed, revived, re 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 Okay? So we have to understand, though, that they are building blocks, one built upon the other. So the beginning of this season is a time of repentance. So the first thing we have to do is change our mind. The second thing that happens then is a change of condition within us. Then what happens, because this change of the mind and change of the condition give place to a thing that's referred to as your sins blotted out. Now, the interesting thing about sins blotted out, once sins are blotted out, they cannot be found again. They cannot be found. It's not like, you know, you erase something on a piece of paper and you go back later and can maybe figure it out. And it's not like white out, gone over the top of it. You hold it up to the light. You can still see it. When Jesus blots out your sins, they can't be found. Amen. So he said, if you'll change your mind and change your condition, 
all the sin in you, the lawlessness, the faults, all those things won't be able to be found. And because of that, you're reinvigorated. You're refreshed. And once you're refreshed, you can move on to a time of full restoration of all things. Now, the thing about restoration, this is where we have to kind of guard our thinking because restoration is in your life isn't the best you've ever had, the best life you've ever had. When God is referring to restoration, he's referring to the best mankind ever had. So it's not just about the best you've ever had because even when you had the best you ever had, there was something longing in you for something still better. So this isn't about the best you've ever had. This is the best that mankind ever had. Now, if we go before the fall, man had it really, really good. And God is earnestly desirous to bring his man back as close to they can get to what it was like in the garden before the fall. Hallelujah. That's God's earnest desire. And we need to put it in as our earnest desire. Amen? Hallelujah. So it's being fully restored is the quality of life that God intended for man. Hallelujah. All right. So God is always moving us, moving us in the season from the beginning. He's always nudging you. He's always wooing you. He's always quickening you and leading you to get to this place of full restoration. Why? Because he's excited for Jesus to come back. Because when Jesus comes back, Jesus is coming to get his family. And when he comes and gets his family, they're all going to live together as one big, happy family. Amen? All right. So, and we talked about um, uh, being fully restored. So, full restoration is the quality of life that we are leaning into God for. Full restoration is the quality of life that we are desiring and wanting. Now... The quality of our life is entirely dependent on two things. The quality of our life is entirely dependent on how we submit to God and how we resist the enemy. Let's read that together. The quality of your life depends entirely on how you submit to God and how you resist the enemy. Okay? So in this season repentance, conversion, refreshment, restoration. There is this season where we are shifting and moving constantly in the way we submit to God and the way we resist the enemy. Have you noticed that there was things in your life at one time you didn't resist, but as you've come closer and closer to God, you now resist those things because you know they're not God. All right? So it's a process in our life. There is this, this quality of life that is the fully restored life that is depending on how we walk through this season of submitting to God and resisting the enemy. All right? So we're going to talk some more tonight about submitting to God. Let's go first over to James 4, verse 7. And it's, it's a scripture we all know very well. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay? Resist, resisting the devil and submitting to God causes the enemy to flee. All right? So what does it mean to submit? Because if we're supposed to submit to God, we need to know what that looks like. Okay? Um, being submitted to God doesn't mean I've come to church. Amen. It's a peace. It's a peace, but it isn't the exclusive. Okay? So, this is what it means to submit. It means to yield, resign, or surrender to the power, will, or authority of another. 
to yield, resign, or surrender to the power, will, or authority of another. It means to give up resistance. It means to yield without murmuring. All right? And you think of what it means to yield. To yield means to not oppose, but to comply with. So we are supposed to live a life complying with God. Not opposing God, complying with God. So the interesting thing is, is many times we can think that if we agree with God, we are submitted to God. But submission is much more than agreement. Because submission means when I don't agree, I still yield. See, agreement means we walk together as long as we're saying the same thing. But submission means when I want to say the wrong thing, I forego my will and instead I agree with yours. Instead, I yield to yours. Instead, I don't oppose yours. See, submission is never tested when you agree. Submission is only tested when there's a disagreement. All the wives said, amen. (laughs) Right? It's easy to walk submitted when you agree. When you don't agree is when you have to learn to submit. It's the same way with our walk with God. See, submitting to God doesn't mean I do what he wants me to do because I agree with him. Submitting to God means I do his will even when I don't want to. I do his will even though it's not convenient. Because the quality of your life depends on you yielding to God even when your flesh doesn't like it. The quality of your life is dependent on yielding to God even when your submission is being tested. Because the quality of your life is not about you doing freely what you want and getting God to bless it. The quality of your life is on the, dependent on the fact that I always do the will of the Father. Does that sound familiar? Somebody said that one time. And I believe it's recorded in red in our Bibles. Okay? So we have to understand this, that our submission to God means when we don't want the will of God, we surrender to the will of God. Now, we have to clarify this. God is a good God. And there is no variation or shadow of turning in Him, meaning God has never devised, never thought of an evil thought concerning you. He's never thought of a tragedy for you. He's never thought of a crisis for you. He's never thought of a pain for you. He's never thought of a sickness for you. We have one that's thought of those things for you, but we're called to resist him. So when we understand that God always has our best, And he is always good without trouble, calamity, pain, suffering on our mind, on his mind toward us. It becomes very easy to always submit to him. There is nothing better than a life fully submitted to him. There is no greater place of blessing than totally given over to God. Hallelujah. So when he is asking of us, or instructing us or directing us something contrary to our will, you have to know that the end result is better than you could plan. It's always going to turn out better in the end than what you can devise. All right? So, um, in, in ministry, I would say, maybe Jerry would, Pastor Jerry would um, say something different than this. But I would have to say one of the most common questions I, we, I get is how do I know the will of God for me in 
and then a situation. You know, about my kids. Do they go there to school? Do they go to here to school? What about this house? Do I buy this house? Do I not? I'm not talking about things that the word easily answers. I'm talking about personal, individual situations of life. People are constantly wanting to know the will of God and how to know the will of God. Well, one of the things we have to understand is if we set our life up to be submitted every moment, submitted with minute-by-minute minute decisions, submitted by submitted to God in everyday things, then the big picture is we'll always be in the will of God. You will always be in the will of God because it's the minute-by-minute, moment-by-moment submissions that keep you in the will of God. Okay, so it's about this. Do I do this and not do this? Do I do this and not do this? And incidentally, this is kind of a uh, side note, but you have the umpire of the peace of God in you. So make a bold declaration of what you're going to do and wait and see what that does in your spirit. It's an easy thing. Are you going to drive the red car or the blue car today? Well, we can't figure that out. Is that the will of God or not? So you make a bold declaration. I'm driving the red car today. And you wait. And sense what's going on on the inside of me. On the inside of me, it's going, <laughs> then I drive the blue one. It's that simple to know the will of God in your life. Hallelujah. But it's then when you get that, <laughs> or yay, drive the red one, and you do it, that's where the blessing lies because that's submission to God. There's so many things in life we don't even ask God about. Hallelujah. So your life is a series of yieldings to God. That's what it is, a series of yieldings to God, moment by moment, time after time. And so many times um, what happens is, um, I'm not going to go into that. All right. So if you will follow him daily and submit to him continually, at the end of your life, you will know that you will wholeheartedly follow God all the days of your life. Amen? All right. Um, if you say, if you will say yes to God in the moments, you'll have a life constantly filled with God. And it becomes important because lack of submission to God today will cost you in your future. It always costs you. It's a much bigger deal than we make of it because we don't know the one choice that we decided to go against God how that's going to look five, ten years from now. But God knows. God knows. And so it's this momentary, I yield to God, and then you get down to the future, and it's blessed by the Lord. Amen? Because the quality of your life tomorrow will depend on your submission to God today. All right. So there is three particular areas of life that we're going to talk about submission to God in. And the first one is found in 2 Corinthians 10. So if we want to go over to 2 Corinthians 10, starting with verse 4. And it says in verse 4, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Notice what it says there at the end. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We could say it this way. Bring every thought to be submitted to God. Bring every thought in submission to the Lord. Bring every thought in submission to God. So if we're going to have to do this, we're going to have to understand where thoughts come from. Where do your thoughts come from? For one, thoughts come, come from God. God can give you creative ideas, witty inventions, thoughts of uh, good things, thoughts of blessing, thoughts of kindness, and thoughts of all kind of great things. A thought can come from God. A thought can come from the enemy. You're no good. You're inferior. You need to stop this. You need to do this. You need to act like this. You need to stand on your right. You need to do all these kind of things. An enemy can give you a thought. The enemy can give you a thought. And then you have thoughts 
that you come up with all by yourself. Okay? You have thoughts because of the information and the influences you've been under, sometimes you just have a thought. You know, you see a math paper and two plus two equals, and it has a blank. What's your thought? Well, I answer that's four. Well, God didn't tell you that. The enemy didn't tell you that. You could think that all by yourself. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You understand what I mean? Thoughts can come from those three areas. They're good, they're evil, or they're either one. All right? So we have thoughts from all, all those things, places. But our goal for full restoration is to have thoughts like God thinks. To think like God thinks. Now, for us to understand this, we have to know that thoughts are not your thinking process. A thought is just a nugget, a suggestion, an invitation put in you to possibly cause a thinking process. It's not the thinking process, but when you take that thought in and begin to put it through the processor, it becomes a part of you. So we have to understand that when a thought comes, we can reject it or accept it before it begins to be processed. Because once it begins to be processed, then it begins to dictate in our reasonings and our thinkings, okay? So we have to understand there is a time between the thought that hits us and the thinking process that we run it through. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay, so we never want to take a thought from the enemy and begin to process it as a piece of us. We want to take a thought from God and process it and make it a part of us. Okay? And this, this way to make this happen is something we call renewing the mind. Because what happens when we renew the mind, then this process of taking thoughts and letting them become a part of us are cleaned out. This processing of thoughts becomes cleansed, cleaned out by the word of God. For instance, you may have at one time had somebody tell you you're never going to amount to anything. Okay? Now, for some people, they could reject that thought. Ah, that's not true. And it's done. For some people, they may take that thought and say, I wonder why they said that. What, it is, what is it about me? See what's happening? You're starting to stir it in there a little bit. You're starting to stir it in there a little bit. So the next time something happens, to see this, because your thought processes never stop. Your mind is going all the time. And so the next time that you run across a situation that seems complex or seems hard or difficult, but that God wants to give the answer to, what comes out is what's been in your thought process that says, I'll never amount to anything, never mind, I can't do it. Do you understand what I'm, I'm showing to show you here? See, we can't afford to take thoughts. We have to get to the place that our thoughts and our thinking processes are submitted to God. Because the quality of our life depends on the fact that the, not only what we think, but the way we think is in conformity to the way God thinks. Your life, the quality of your life, is going to depend on whether or not you can submit your thinking process to God. And see, what happens, we can get comfortable in our own thought process. It's my own internal little thing and nobody else knows. It will know. They will know. Because what's in there in abundance is going to come out, especially under pressure. Somebody puts the squeeze on you and bleh, here it all comes, you know. And sometimes the, the only blessing about pressure is you find out what really is in there, right? So we have to get to the place that we know how to submit our thought processes to the way God thinks because the quality of our life depends on it. The quality of our life depends on it. 
that that thought processing also becomes a part of God's plan of our life, all right? And it's so much easier to stop the thought than to alter the th thought process. So you be quick to stop a thought. Stop the thought. When the enemy is bombarding you with you're always going to be sick or you're never going to get this done right or you'll never amount to anything and nobody loves you and did you see what they said about you did you see how they looked at you have to stop those thoughts and just say i'm not going there you have to stop it you have to stop it before it gets in the thought process because once it becomes in the thought process it connects to another dumb thought it comes, connects to another evil thought and another evil thought. And pretty soon, your life is hopeless. And it looks no different than another person's. But it's just the thoughts that were taken in and began to stir in your head. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? All right. So our goal is to think God's thoughts. So what we're going to have to do is if the way we think the thoughts that come up from us are from information and influence, then what we're going to have to do is take responsibility for putting in right information and right influence so that our thoughts then begin to be in agreement with God's thoughts and that we know how to quickly discern an enemy's thought and repel it instantly. Because if you'll spend time in this, you'll begin to take this as information, just like two plus two is four. When the enemy comes at you and says you're not worth anything, then the same thing will rise up. Even though that two plus two was a, uh, equals four was a problem at one time and you didn't know the answer, but now you do because of information you gathered, when the enemy comes at you with the thought of you're not worth anything, then that is still the same kind of thing. It's a problem, but you've got new information for an answer for that thought. Do you understand how that works? So all you have to do is get this to be the information in here so we repel those thoughts that try to get here and you can stop them in the air. You cast it down and it never becomes a part of you. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. And it's just about the information that's in this word of God that says so many good and great things about you. So we can stop that thought before it gets in, all right, before it becomes a mentality. The next place that we have to submit to God, the first place we have to learn to submit to God is in our thoughts. The second place we have to learn to submit to God is with our words. And Pastor Frank did such a great job talking about that a couple weeks ago. But our words have to be in alignment with what God says. We have to say what God says if we want to get what God has. All right? And so speaking always confirms your thinking. Speaking always confirms your thinking. That's why it's easier to grab a thought than to grab a word. It's easier to grab a thought than a word. But words can always change thought. Words can always change thought. And I'm sure you've all done this little experience before. Is If in your head you begin to count from 1 to 10 to yourself, one, two, three. And then in the middle of it, someone says, now say your name. Your counting has to stop for your mouth to be engaged. See, thought process stops when the mouth is engaged. So if you want to change this thinking process, start saying right things with your mouth, and it begins to alter that. If those thoughts got in there and they're starting to stir around and be bad, then you got to start saying something in submission to God, saying something in with alignment with God, and it'll stop that process from being evil anymore. Hallelujah. All right. So we're going to look at some things here. So let's go over to James chapter 3. Have you ever thought about it? Why did God give us a mouth? Some people think it was to cuss, <laughs> to vent all their frustration. You know, why did God give you a mouth? 
to eat? Who said that? <laughs> you weren't the only. There are several. God gave you a mouth because of what he wanted to put in you and what he wanted to get out of you. Or you could say it this way, what he wanted to, wanted to come through you. What he needed to get in you, natural food, but what he needed to come through you, spiritual power. Spiritual power. Hallelujah. All right. Now, he gave me these two little nuggets today. And he said this, when you guard your words as creative, then your words will begin to create. When you guard your words as creative, then your words will begin to create. And he said this one, it may be that you're not, you're not saying the wrong word. You might not be saying the wrong word, but you're saying too many words. Because we blah, 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 they said, he did that with a word. With a word. He did it with a word, okay? So maybe it's not, not that you're saying the wrong words. Maybe you're just saying too many words. And with saying too many words, then, you can't focus on the impact of each word. And when we can go back to focusing on the impact of each word, every word will have impact. Hallelujah. All right. So we have to see, are we submitted to God in the way we talk? Don't answer that. Are we submitted to God in the way we talk? All right. And it's not just, it's not just how we talk to God or not just in the church house. Let's, in fact, let's look at James chapter 3. It says, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. So obviously there was words coming out of the mouth that were hell-induced, and it altered the course of nature and set it afire. All right? For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue, meaning you can't like you can tame an animal. You can't just rope it and tie it to a stake. Okay? It doesn't work. Okay? It doesn't work that way. You have to have something internally to domesticate your tongue, all right? It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Okay, this is where we want to get to. With it, we bless our God and Father. Now, he's talking about it, it unruly and evil. Now, blessing God doesn't seem unruly and evil, but this is the part that makes it unruly and evil. We bless God with it, but then... The unruly part is it, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Now think of this. He's comparing the tongue to a spring or a fig tree. He's saying a fig tree can't bear two different kinds of fruit. And he's saying a spring can't put out, bring forth two different kinds of water. 
A spring is either a fresh water spring or a salt water spring. It's not both. And he said, your mouth cannot produce both. The blessing of God and the cursing of men leaves the mouth in a, unable to produce a right result. As long as we're trying to bless God, but we're cursing men with the same thing, it's not going to work. Our mouth is not going to have the potent power we want it to have. And it's not because we're not blessing God. It's because we're cursing men. Is your mouth submitted to God because the quality of your life is dependent on whether or not your mouth is submitted to God? And, you know, the interesting thing is it's not just talking about, well, you can curse them. They're bad people. Or you could curse them because they've done you wrong. It, I didn't see any of those qualifiers in there. Did anyone else? And he's saying this isn't working because you're trying to bless God with your mouth, but yet you're cursing men with the same mouth. Now, think about this. If there is a freshwater lake and we suddenly try to put salt water into it, the whole lake becomes contaminated. It's the same way with our tongue. We can be blessing God, but if we're cursing men, our mouth has been contaminated. Isn't that what it, does anybody else, isn't that what it says? That's what it says. So what we have to do is not, it's, it's not bad to bless God. That's not what he's saying. But he said, there's lack of productivity in your mouth because of how you talk about men. And he goes, which verse was it? He said, they're made in the similitude or the likeness of God, meaning God put a piece of him in them, saved or unsaved, that he doesn't want cursed. Because when you begin to curse people, you're cursing a piece of God. You're cursing something God made. You're cursing and holding that um, in a way that will not allow your mouth to be productive. So let me ask you again. Are you submitted to God in how you talk? God loves people much more than probably natural man can or will. But what he wants to do is you treat them the way he loves them. All right? So let's look at some more scriptures. Can we do this? Let's go first to Ephesians 4, the Ephesians 4 ones. And he says, now remember, we're talking about not how we communicate to God, but how we communicate with each other. Incidentally, your mouth was not made for conversation your mouth was made for creation. Yes. Amen. All right? And he says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Obviously, wrong talk grieves the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. He's wanting you to bless people with your mouth. The quality of your life is dependent on whether or not you're going to bless men or curse men. And we have to understand that you get yourself overwhelmed with finding evil to speak about other people. You become overcome. You become overwhelmed because you have to keep saying to the Spirit of God that's within you, no, in order to speak evil of another. 
You have to because the Spirit of God within you is saying, don't say that. Don't say that. And when you refuse to listen to that bidding and prompting, you're giving way to a quality of life that you don't want. And we're looking for full restoration. One of those things in full restoration is the unity of the body of Christ. And we're not going to get to the unity of the body of Christ if we find it easy and we can frequently slam one another. Hallelujah. Are we doing okay? All right. Another thing with our mouth. Philippians 2. Let's go there. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Some of your Bibles probably say grumbling and complaining, right? That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. Look at this. If you don't grumble and complain, you can be found without fault. Now, do you know what it means to be without fault? Remember, Jesus without, was without fault, and he said, the wicked one has come, but he's found nothing in me. There's no fault in me that gives him a hold of my life. So if you can do things without grumbling and complaining, then the enemy will not have a hold on you. But be, become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So go back to the previous verse, please. Do all things without complaining and disputing, grumbling, complaining, murmuring. Why? Because we want our mouth to be submitted to God. Because the quality of our life is depending on whether or not we submit our mouth to God. All right? Say less, more impactful. Say right things, greater impact. All right? All right, are we done with this? Do we need to move on? Are we okay? <laughs> okay, go to the last one, Colossians 2. Let's go to that one. Uh, verse 9, I believe it is. Did I give you that one? Maybe not. Oh, oh, 3. Yeah, that's right. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Go back to the first verse, 9. Do not lie to one another. Do not lie to one another. Do not lie to one another. Why? Well, for one thing, who's the father of all lies? So if you're lying, there has to be submission to the enemy and resistance to God. It has to be. Because he says, don't lie to one another. The enemy is the father of all lies. So if we're lying, there is a submission to the enemy and resistance to God. And the entire quality of your life is depending on how you submit to God and resist the enemy. And so if you're resisting God and submitting to the enemy, your quality of life is not good. And the thing that the enemy does is deceive people with thinking a lie will be a way of escape. A lie is just a temporary fix. A lie will remedy this. But we have to think at the big picture, see, because the momentary submission to God is an investment for your future. The momentary resistance to the enemy is an investment for your future. But the momentary submission to the enemy is also an investment for your future. So lying today is going to perpetuate the curse in my life somehow. Now we think, well, I don't see how that could connect. We don't have to see how that, we c that can connect because we live in an invisible realm that's got all kinds of things working together that we don't even connect with our own mind. You lied about this, it's affecting your kids over here. You lied about this, it's affecting your marriage over here. You lied about this, now your job is at stake. And you might not even have lied about your job. You might have lied about something else. But what happens is your integrity begins to break down because of lying. And now we've got all kinds of situations. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Is your mouth submitted to God? A mouth without corruption. A mouth blessing, not cursing. A mouth not lying. All right? So we have to get our mouth submitted to God. Our thoughts, so that our thought processes can be clean, 
and our words so that we have coming out of our opening only fresh water. A little bit of salt water can contaminate a big lake. And it takes a lot. How much fresh water does it take to dilute salt water down till it's fresh? I don't know. A whole lot. <laughs> a whole lot. You can put a teaspoon of salt in a gallon of water and taste it. Hallelujah. All right. So, and it, it becomes so key that we realize that our submission to God is so much about our dealings with each other rather than just this relationship. This relationship is easy to say submitted to God, but these relationships are the ones that put us on trial to stay submitted to God. But submission is only tested when it goes contrary to your will. And usually this will, our will goes this way to God. But when it comes to this way, hmm, sometimes that's where it becomes strained, isn't it? All right. You have to understand that Jesus knew people's faults and didn't expose them. He didn't talk about people's faults. He didn't. He didn't talk about people's faults. Remember um, uh, when they came across the blind man and the disciples asked, whose fault is this that he's blind? Was it his or his parents? And there probably, maybe there was a reason. You know what Jesus said? Neither. He wasn't interested on how the curse got there. He was interested in how the blessing was going to overcome it. Amen. See, and so with one another, we can't be so free on how the, how the curse got there. We have to be more interested in how the blessing is going to overcome it. Amen? All right. So we have to guard our thoughts, our um, words, and the last one, our actions. Let's go over to Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And Jesus says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Now, I find that interesting. Lord, Lord, meaning they knew who he was, and they gave him a position in their life as Lord, but yet he said, but you're not doing what I've asked you to do. You're not doing what I ask you to do. Go on to the next verse, please. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, notice, we've got some resistance and submission here. And so what we have is the fact that these people all came and they heard, but not everyone acted on what they'd heard. And so it was the ones that acted on what they heard that the foundation was established on their life. The foundation was established on their building so that when the opposition came, their house didn't move because it was founded on the rock. And so the rock of your spiritual life is not the information you've got, not the amount of word you've read. The rock of your spiritual life is the things in God you do. The things of your life, your actions that are submitted to God. All right? Because we have to be a people that are beyond right intention, and we are a people with right action. Okay? Beyond right intention to the place of right action. Hallelujah. And so notice that he said, whoever comes to me in verse 47 and hears my sayings and does them. So there was a coming, there was a hearing, but the part that hung them up was the doing. The doing was the part that he had to go over again. So there's no shortage of people coming to Jesus. There's no shortage of people hearing from Jesus. The shortage is the people that are really doing what Jesus needs them to do. Okay, now um, this is true, but it be goes beyond this. He's not just talking about 
not doing, you're not being missionaries, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. He's talking also about life with people every day. Are you every day doing something that I've asked you to do? Every day, are you listening for me? Are you getting your quickenings? Are you getting your biddings? Are you getting your promptings? Because the quality of our life is going to be dependent on whether or not we submit our activities to God. Hallelujah. The doing was what needed to be addressed by Jesus. And so we have to understand that a lot of people want to do something and God come and bless it, but God wants you to do what he says is already blessed. So if he says, I want you to go to the store, you're going to the store is blessed. But you say, I want to go over here fishing instead. And so you go to go fishing and say, please bless the fishing. And Jesus said, well, I was blessing the store going. The quality of your life is based on the fact you submitted to what he wanted you to do rather than you doing your will and hoping he's going to bless it. Do you see what I'm saying here? Okay. See, he's got a mandate daily of blessing for your life. He's got a mandate daily. He's got a mode of operation daily that is so going to be blessed. He's got a a uh, routine for your life that's going to just invoke the hand of God in everything you do. He's got a way to do life where the kids don't drive you crazy, where the spouse doesn't make you nuts, where all these things happen rightly. He's got a way of life for that. So what we want to do is just get into that place that my coworkers don't have uh, make me upset today and my boss doesn't make me angry today he's got this mode of operation for your life where the blessing constantly abounds and so what we have to learn is how to get our life of activity submitted to him that's not saying i gotta put this in that's not saying he won't bless the fishing trip but it's really great to get the inspiration from the spirit of god to go fishing at the right time, right? The right place, the right lake, all right? So you have to learn how to hear from heaven concerning your actions that you can do what's blessed so you don't have to strive to get the blessing. All right, so let's look at some things here. Um, Let's go to James 2 first, if we can do that. James 2, verse 14. Um, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay? So faith without works is dead. There's got to be faith activity. I think that verse 26 also, isn't that one? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Okay? So we have to learn that there is activity of the spirit mandated by God. Just the other day I was with somebody and we were reading in the word about a man that doesn't work doesn't eat. It says that. It does. It says a man that won't work doesn't eat. So are we submitted to that thought that that's the activity that we are supposed to subject ourselves to? Because our nation has gotten chaos with this. You don't have to work or do anything, and we're going to make sure you eat, which is a credit to our generosity, but it's a problem to our spirituality. It's a problem to our longevity. Okay? So we have to decide, are we going to submit to what the Word says about that activity? Are we going to be willing to say, I understand that, and so yes, I will work? Are you hearing me? Hallelujah. 
See, we, we want to, this, is, this becomes the issue, is we can make this word say anything we want. You can make it say whatever you want. You know, somebody does you wrong and you can flip over the scripture and it says, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. Yeah. <laughs> right? You can make it say that, but you're wrong because that's not the activity of the spirit that God wants you to submit to that, at that moment. He, said, he wants you to forgive as you've been forgiven. See, and what we do is we can't pick and choose what we want to submit to. We have to submit to what this word says and what the Lord says about our life. Amen? Did I lose you? No? Praise the Lord. I'll get off my soapbox. Okay, let's go over to some things about what we have to, how we have to submit our activities. 1 Thessalonians 5. Remember, most of this that God is needing our submission for is how we treat one another, how we deal with one another, this horizontal thing, because the vertical thing we can get, you know, you've got to be crazy to be a believer and think, I'm never going to submit to God. But, you know, when God is talking. But then when we go out and live our life, sometimes we can lose that that's probably pieces of this is affected by how we do this. All right, here we go. This is activities of the Spirit submitted to God. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. Always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. These are are things of God in our activities that we have to learn to submit to. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Is that it? That's plenty. (laughs) That's enough. But these are activities that God wants us to submit to. And the quality of our life depends on whether or not we will do those things. The quality of our life is dependent on, are we going to give thanks in everything? The quality of our life is depending on, are we going to pray without ceasing? The quality of our life is dependent on, are we going to rejoice always? Because the quality of your life is dependent on, will you submit to God in your actions? Hallelujah. Let's go on Colossians 3. We'll close it up here. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Activities of the Spirit we have to submit to God in. We have to submit to God in these things. See, it's not about how we're acting toward God that tests our submission, but how we're acting toward each other. And Jesus said, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So he said, if you'll come, I'll make this work in your life. If you'll submit to me, I'll make this work in your life. If you'll just come to me, I'll get this all working in your life. 
Because your spiritual maturity is not determined by how long you've been saved or how much of the Bible you have memorized. Your maturity is determined by how well are you led by God in what you do. How well are you led by God in what you do? And in order for you to be led by God, two things have to be predominant in your life. One is humility. Unless you've got humility at work in your life, you won't be led by God because humility says, I need God, I want God, and God's my only hope. The other thing is honesty. You have to be honest about where you're at. You have to be honest. Your humility and honesty will determine how well God can lead you, which will in turn determine how mature you're going to be in God. Hallelujah. And we're going on to spiritual maturity because it's the spiritually mature that experience the restoration of all things. Amen? Hallelujah. And, you know, the thing of it is, is there's never going to be a personal justification for not submitting to God that God's going to say, oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, you're right. I missed that about your life. There is never going to be one of those that he's going to say, you are right. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Hallelujah. It is too big a deal. It's not too big a deal. See, it's only a big deal. It's only a big deal if your life isn't submitted to him. Because once you bring your life to the knees and to the feet of Jesus and he begins to touch it, nothing's a big problem. Nothing's too big of an obstacle. Nothing is too hard to conquer. But it's the lack of submission that makes things bigger than they really are. Praise the Lord. Did you get something tonight? Hallelujah. Let's all stand to our feet. Kept you long enough. Hallelujah. Father, we're thankful and grateful in this house. We honor you as you, you are our Lord, our Master, and our Savior. Father, help us surrender our lives more completely to you. Help us to be submitted to you. That not only is our relationship with you right, but our relationship with our fellow man is made right. Father, help us grow in this. Help us be productive in the kingdom of God. That we know we have to change, Father, for we're in the time of repentance and conversion. So we change, Father, so that refreshment can come because our sins have been blotted out, that times of restoration can overcome us. And we thank you and we praise you, Father, that the work you began in us, you will bring it into completion. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Turn to one another and say... Thank you for joining us for this message. We'd like to take this opportunity to encourage those listening from anywhere in Central Oregon to join us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. for our regular services. We understand that many do not have a home church, and we can't emphasize enough the importance of connecting with a church family. We'd be honored to meet you and spend time with you praising God.